You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivilevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years or of. It's coming. First, you've heard of me on this platform touting NRS, a great company whose many dedicated employees I get to see in action. NRS Pay has recently launched its new cost-cutting program called Cash Discount. The way it works is any vendor using NRS Pay Cash Discount has their sale register tabulating automatically a dual pricing, which offers customers a choice of a cash payment, which could result in up to a 4% discount over swiping their card. If your business meets the $18,000 a month threshold, there's absolutely no monthly fee to incur. NRS Pay Cash Discount makes it less expensive to accept credit cards, so you'll save money while helping your customers save at the same time. NRS is offering a time-limited deal right now on this state-of-the-art system. You'll get a free card reader with zero hidden fees, no long-term contract, and no early termination fee, which means you can switch your processing plan without penalty. NRS Pay is a proud part of the IDT Corporation that I've been associated with for over 10 years and has integrity built into its corporate DNA. I know its founder and officers and salespeople, and they truly stand by their product and will help you with live stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Check nrspay.com for more information or call 833-289-2767. 75 years of Medina. This is emeritus, Rex. I don't say 40 years are rough today because we're all behind Eretz Yisrael, which is in a, uh, obviously, a shas chirum. I'm here in Yerushalayim, and I'm joined, of course, with someone who cares so much about this country and who I think understands a lot of the geopolitical ramifications of what is happening here, Rabbi Ruven Yeshua Pupo. So... I'm sure people came into your show already on, uh, on. Yeah, we knew right away in the morning. Yeah. Did you, um, curtail your hot coffees? Did you change things? Did you? Listen, the first day was still, was Shmini and Saris, uh, when we heard. So, uh, you know, we said special feelers. We, uh, uh, obviously, uh, Yisker took on an additional, uh, uh, resonance about what was happening because we began to hear. We began to hear some of the numbers, but again, not, nothing like what actually turned out to be. Uh, Simplest Torah itself, we already knew everything. Yes, uh, the celebrations were muted. We did everything we were supposed to, but we also paused during the caucus, uh to say what needed to be said, to try to uh, provide some context, some chizot, some guidance about uh, what was going on and what, what, what should be done by Jews living in diaspora. Listen, the reality is we all went home after Yontif, turned on, uh, you know, our, our screens and saw, began to see the horrific images, images that no one's going to forget. Listen, uh, as Jews, we all have very thin layers of memory and uh, the images that we saw obviously brought to mind terrible images from the past. They're going to be with us forever in the same place in our heart where all those other images are. And uh, it was a devastating, devastating weekend of, uh, uh, of of loss, of trauma, of families that are forever destroyed, of lives that have ended, people being held captive. I mean, it, it, this is uh, the beginning of what's going to be a very long, 
very long conflict. Listen, we can't get it into our heads that there are people in this world who do not aspire to what we aspire to, who don't cherish what we cherish, that there are people who are so animated by hate that the lives of their own family and the, and, and, and the future of their own people is, uh, is, is secondary. And that the, uh, uh, the Gaza leadership, Hamas, and too many Palestinians uh, continue, number one, to harbor the dream of, a, of destroying Israel. Their reason for existence is not the establishment of a Palestinian state. The reason for their existence is the destruction of the Jewish state and the murder of Jews. That is their reason for being. And if there's any doubt about that, all you had to see was the images this, this weekend. If there's any doubt about that, just read the Hamas Covenant. They are not ashamed to say what they want. They want the obliteration of Israel. They want the murder of Jews. Let's, let's be blunt. They simply do not value human life the way we assume humans do. They just don't. They value their honor. Yeah, they view the state of Israel as a direct assault on collective Muslim honor. And when you have an honor-based society, reason and ethics are elusive. Look, as, as of this moment of recording, has any Arab state besides the United Arab Emirates condemned the Hamas attack? I think Bahrain did. So we're talking about the two Arab states that are part of the Abraham Accords. Right. Otherwise, the other Arab states, including Egypt, that was part of the blockade against Gaza, Saudi Arabia, none of them condemned the acts of butchery that occurred on, on Shabbos. None of them. No, no. And listen, it's, uh, again, the culture uh, in the Arab world is a culture that has been, again, overwhelmed with this uh, fantasy of destroying Israel, uh, this notion that Israel's very existence is an ongoing assault on Arab honor. I, I want to know the imam, the, the imams that you work with in Quebec, have they stood together with you and condemned? Not that I've heard, no, no. Okay, why the hell not? The fundamental bottom line is, is that Hajamin al-Husseini started this lie in the 1930s that Israel's about to destroy Al-Aqsa. Israel's been in control of Al-Aqsa for how many years now? Since 1967, right? And, and they haven't touched it. The Muslims have complete freedom of religion. And this idea that they, that, you know, there's so many, there's a basket of horrible ideas, right? And in that basket is this notion that Israel's about to destroy Al-Aqsa. In that basket of crazy ideas is this idea, is this idea that Israel is somehow, uh, you know, a fleeting presence like the colonialists of the past, while Israel represents not a colonial uh, ideology, but an, uh, an ideology of an indigenous people returning to their home. There's a basket of horrible ideas here about the devaluing of, of, of human life, uh, about the honor of the Arab people, about Israel's intentions. And the problem is that the state of Israel, the government and the army began to lose sight of that. They began to be convinced that Hamas wants quiet in Gaza, that they, they were concerned about their own standing amongst the, the people in Gaza who didn't want their lives disrupted by ongoing conflict. They, were, they became convinced of this. Uh, too many army units, almost all of them, were moved to the West Bank uh, because of the recent troubles there. They were locked into this idea that they fought the last war. What I mean by that is 
the the border was very secure against you know lone terrorists or or small bands of terrorists the censor systems all of those things were created and built in anticipation of the past recurring in other words small bands of terrorists no one in the uh, imagined this kind of mass invasion and the technology in place the censors in place the military readiness in in, in place simply felt tragically drastically too short and then that, that, and that's what happened this weekend it's very easy to criticize as i just have but did any of us a month ago warn about this no even yigal carmon who is being now touted as somebody who predicted this when he talked about the imminent war in october he talked about the territories he talked about lebanon right so e- even the closest you know prediction to this did not imagine what we saw over the weekend. However, we can analyze, and the analysis is obvious. Israel suffered two faults here. Number one, they had a certain idea of what Hamas leadership wanted, and that was proven tragically wrong. And also, also, and I said this in my show on, on Yom Kippur, that the hubris before the Yom Kippur War was the idea that they were invulnerable. But the hubris in this war was that putting on display for your the entire world and for your adversaries your internal divisions will send a message of weakness and vulnerability and that has been said again by Hamas leadership that's what they saw they saw an Israel tearing itself apart and therefore and therefore misunderstood that also they misunderstood Israel because as much as Israel tears itself apart over judicial review at this moment Israel is completely united well, as someone who is living that, and again, here, you know, I don't need to turn on a screen to see that. Of course, I see this outside of my window. I see it in the hotel that I'm in Listen, everybody's been called up. There is not, I don't know anybody, I don't know any, I mean, everybody I know has either a relative or a friend who's lost their life, who's being held captive, or has been called up to the army. American Jews and uh, Canadian Jews are one degree of separation away from people in Israel. Everyone is everyone is bound up together in, the, in this story. Uh, the burden of sacrifices, however, do not fall on the shoulders of people living in Canada or, or, or the U.S. Uh, the sacrifices will be made by our brothers and sisters in the state of Israel. And, uh, and, and we recognize that and we are humbled by it and we want to do everything we can, can, can do to support. But the truth is, the next few months are going to be very painful and very difficult. Any ground incursion into Gaza will inevitably involve losses. You've said a couple of times that it's going to be a long one. And you think it's basically because there's going to be a, a long and terrible ground battle into Gaza. I mean, I mean, listen, I think what Israel needs to do, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a military analyst, but, you know, just from everything we read, Israel's intent on decapitating Hamas leadership, destroying uh, the leadership of Hamas, removing the leadership of Hamas, and that is going to be a long, tough, street-by-street, tunnel-by-tunnel, uh, bunker-by-bunker battle in the urban density of, of Gaza. Also, Israel may decide to carve out a buffer zone, which will mean the displacement of Palestinian communities uh, in, in Gaza in order to create a buffer zone. I haven't even mentioned the hostages. I don't know how how you fight this war 
with the uh, survival of hostages as the number one priority. Because if that's the number one priority... I, I don't think it's possible. It's not possible. If the survival of the hostages is the main goal, uh, Israel, will, Israel will handcuff itself. And I'm not telling anyone to write off anybody, God forbid. I'm just saying I don't understand how these priorities coexist. Yeah, as you said, you're not saying to write off anyone, but I think it's a Nes Nigla. If any, any hostage that survives is going to be a Nes Nigla. There's no question about that. I'll tell you, you know, it's, you cannot admire satanic people, yet this was quite a incredibly well-done evil act. The sirens uh, indicating that it was just going to be some rockets uh, was a smokescreen for the real penetration that occurred. The fact that they not only killed and murdered, but they took hostages where they went, the way they were able to somehow undo the cyber security of Israel, which is supposedly our strong suit. Uh, they were able to, you know, to, to neutralize, uh, the, the wall and to be able to, 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 bre- to break through the way they did. And again, we know that they had Iranian help. We know they had Iranian monies, uh, and Iranian backing, uh, for all of this. And like I said, uh, Ralph, you know, to me, the, the silence is deafening. Um, I know the U.S. condemned. They've been saying, I guess, the right things. Israel has enjoyed remarkable support the last couple of days, right? The Brandenburg Gate is lit up blue and white. The Israeli flag, the Peace Tower in Ottawa, the White House last night in Washington, the Empire State Building, the European Commission Building. I mean, yeah, we've seen wonderful gestures of support. But you and I both know, everyone knows, that as soon as Israel takes serious measures, as they have already begun to do, in Gaza, you're going to hear words like disproportionate. You're going to hear words like collective punishment and all this other stuff. The, the support that, that we've seen will very quickly evaporate. It's already begun to evaporate. And, and, and Israel cannot pay attention to it. Uh, Israel has to go ahead and do what it's necessary to secure uh, its, its, its future, to secure its people. And it's going to be a brutal a brutal, brutal conflict. Again, I think what, what needs, what we need, I believe, we need people to say, yes, Israel is going to go in and is going to topple buildings and there's going to be women and children that are going to die. But the reason they are dying is because their leadership took this step. Every dead Israeli is a, is a victory for them. Every dead Palestinian is a trophy for them. They want dead Palestinian civilians. But the question is, given that Israel's army has turned to technology, the Iron Dome, the sensors, and everything else, are they now prepared for a ground offensive? And there are people who claim that the Israeli army right now lacks the readiness for a um, an imminent assault, and that before anything happens, there's going to be a, at least a, you know a month of intensive training because there aren't enough soldiers who are prepared to do what's right now to do what's necessary because the ethic of the army has changed. It's changed to a high tech army, and high tech is great against missiles, and high tech is great against a lot of threats. Uh, but to go ahead and uproot uh, the nests of terror of terrorists in, in Gaza, that, that's not a high-tech enterprise. 
That's an old, that's not even old fashioned war of armies facing army. This is urban warfare, uh, the likes of which, uh, you know, uh, have very few precedents. This is going to be a street by street, alleyway by alleyway fight. There's no other way around it. And it's going to be brutal and it's going to be gruesome. We've talked about what we can do. You talked about the prayers and and the food drives. Um, obviously, uh, the support to the families that is so necessary. What are you spearheading there in 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 your community? Listen, uh, we've uh, we spent we spent even on Yuntif. We were we were scrambling and helping kids get back to their units. We had a number of young men in, in synagogue and shul who needed to get back to the units who had received the tzav to, to go back. And, and, and that was managed. We're, we're helping getting some doctors over as volunteers. We're raising money for the Israel Emergency Fund. We gathered at a community rally last night. You know, we're doing all the things that we do. But again, it's important for us to do all these things. But, but history will not be determined by what American and Canadian Jews do the next few weeks and months. History will be determined by what Israelis do and by what the Israeli army is able to accomplish and what the Israeli government decides to do. History will not be determined by what goes on in Galut in exile. A lot of people have said it correctly and accurately so that this was the worst day of in Jewish history since the Holocaust in terms of the number of Jews that were murdered. And that's an accurate statement. But it, it falls short of the complete truth, which is that the analogy uh, falls apart because uh, Reim is not Babiyar, Sikim is not Ponar. Uh, that's not what's happening here. We, this is a, we now live in a very different world. There's a Jewish state. There's a Jewish army. Part of never again, maybe a big part of never again meant Jewish lies will never again be taken with impunity. And that, and that never again will be fulfilled. There will be justice here. Justice will be visited on the murderers and those who've decided uh, to send murderers. Uh, uh, this is not, the analogy is not, is, is not complete. Uh, we live, we live in times that are, that could not be more distant than the times of, of, of World War II. Uh, we have a Jewish state and we are independent. We are proud. We can defend ourselves and we can, uh, and and we can punish those who sought to harm us and did harm us. But as you say, the punishment will extract a cost, and the cost we know will be quite dear to us, especially those of us who have family, and we're all family. Yeah, you know, I can tell you that we are all uh, family, and as I can tell you, reporting from here, there is a somberness but there is a hearty determination that you see reflected almost everywhere. I've said this before, you know, part of what those images that you say were emblazoned in your, in your skulls, but what you saw is really what Hamas wanted. They want these images. Um, yeah. And I think what we, either, either we don't, we have to be, as you say, stronger than them, ignore them, use them to spur us in ways where we can fight effectively. You know, Israel's Air Force was considered the best in the world. Israel's intelligence units were considered the best in the world. And they all failed. That, right, that, that, that mantle has to somehow be recaptured. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you can hear on the videos that Hamas released was, we want to thank our great benefactor, Iran, 
for helping us show. Right, no, there's no question that this would not have happened without Iranian help. This is Iranian-directed, Iranian-provoked. This was a decision made in Tehran. In August. Yeah, this is a decision in, Te- in Tehran, confirmed in Beirut, and implemented in Gaza. That's what happened here. Any prog- prognostication about, do you see there being multiple fronts opening up? That's the scary thing, right? So far, not uh, there have been contradictory signals out of Lebanon. Uh, Lebanese president has promised there wouldn't be, but I don't know how much control he even has over Hezbollah. It's a, it's a scary uh, thing. I mean, Hezbollah has hundreds of thousands of missiles. Remember, these are all clients of Iran. Hezbollah is a client of Iran. Hamas is a exactly. client of Iran. Hezbollah even more more so than uh, than Hamas. So uh, again, at any moment, uh, this could be a two front conflict. Yes. Now listen. Also, there's something else. The, the role of the U.S., the negative role of the U.S., can't be ignored. Uh, when Biden came into office, he was surrounded by people who were desperate to restore the the Iran nuke deal. They uh, they loosened sanctions on oil, on Iranian oil exports that filled the coffers of Iran that enabled them to fund you know terror across the region. Uh, Biden just completed a hostage uh, exchange, which gave them another six billion dollars. There's no question that the money that the Americans have allowed the Iranians to acquire and actually gave to the Iranians play a role in all of this. There's no question that Biden's haphazard and disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan has left an image of a weakened America, which certainly affects how Hamas looks at Israel. Uh, the waffling on Ukraine, which is you know becoming more uh, more of a reality certainly doesn't send a message of strength. Uh, Biden's complete refusal to make a case for Ukraine sends a message of weakness, which affects Israel. There's a lot of things here to say about the Americans. But right now, again, the, the state of Israel was created for at least one simple purpose. And that purpose is that the destiny of the Jewish people is now in the hands of the Jewish people in the hands of a Jewish government, in the hands of a Jewish army. And it will be Israeli skill, self-reliance, and courage that will determine the day. And in that, we can have much faith, especially when we also have faith in a God above. Let's hope so. And obviously, as we keep our tefillahs for everyone, the hostages, even though their situation is so desperate, and of course, our, our, our men, young men, who are, and, and old too, all the way up to the age of 40, in fact, Somebody in the neighborhood where I was staying over Yomtev, 70 years old, was called up as a forensic specialist to identify bodies. That's the status over here. Rabbi Pukova, as we say, I know you'll be in touch with me because I don't know the airline. The flights aren't flying. So I will be here in Eretz Israel. I hope we'll catch each other next week. Take care, hopefully with better news. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.